So Money Episode 571, Catherine Minshew, founder and CEO of The Muse. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, we always say that it's very difficult to be an entrepreneur, to start your own company, especially these days with so much competition. Our guest today actually received 148 rejections from investors to invest in her company. I mean, I think most people would take that as a sign that you either have to pivot or just scrap the idea altogether and start fresh. But our guest, Catherine Minshew, who's the founder and CEO of The Muse, did not give up. And in fact, not only is The Muse thriving today, she is also out with a new book that captures all of the findings, all of the perspectives that The Muse, which is a career platform, has gathered on how to land that dream job, how to learn professional skills, and how to take your career to the next level. The book's called The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. And Catherine and her business partner, Alexandra Kavalakos, offer a guide for the modern workplace. A little bit more about Catherine. So clearly she's not a quitter. She's been named to Smart CEO's Future 50 and Inc.'s 35 Under 35. Prior to founding The Muse, she worked in Rwanda with the Clinton Health Access Initiative, and she also worked as a consultant at McKinsey & Company. In the interview, we discussed not just her advice for staying competitive in today's job market, but how really she managed to launch The Muse with very little money, how she managed to pick herself up after all of those rejections, and hear how she fought adversity and why she thinks being underestimated is one of the best ways to win when you're launching a company. Here's Catherine Minshew. Catherine Minshew, welcome to So Money. Congratulations on the new rules of work. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. How does it feel being an author? I mean, you're a CEO, you're an entrepreneur, you you know, you you wear many hats and now you're an author. How does a how does the title feel? I have to say it's it's pretty surreal. Um I have wanted to write a book for a couple years now and of course, you know, once you once you get it started, there's 50 million things to do in between having the idea, putting the proposal together and actually feeling your book in your hands. So it's, it's a great feeling, um, but also a little bit terrifying, putting it out in the world, getting feedback, hearing from people who love it, hearing from people who hate it, you know, everything in between. Um, so I'm really excited to be here today and, you know, just um, getting used to having this out in the world. You co-wrote this with your business partner, Alexandra, both of you working at The Muse, which many of us know and are familiar with. It's a fantastic website resource for people who are interested in advancing their careers and maybe becoming entrepreneurial. And it really is on the cutting edge of what is happening in the world as the career place is evolving. And I think, is that where your book kind of enters the the conversation? Yeah, it really does. We we kept hearing from people that they loved the advice on the muse, but it was kind of overwhelming, right? We have 8,000 articles, actually, it's probably more like 10,000 by now. But, you know, if you were thinking about um, picking the right career path for you, 
or getting that next job or dealing with a difficult boss, there might be 30 articles or 300 articles depending on the topic, but there was no A to Z way. There was no sort of person, mentor who grabbed you by the hand and said, all right, let's start at the beginning. I'm going to take you through this. And we kept hearing that need. And it just at some point made sense to us to say, let's turn everything we've learned, everything that the muse is and does into a book. And, uh, and that's really what we've uh, spent you know, a lot of the last year doing. There isn't a shortage of career books out there right now, specifically for young professionals from Lean In to Girl Boss and everything in between. Where does your book advance the conversation or how does it differentiate? Yeah. So I think there's two ways that we wanted our book to be different. The first is it's extremely tactical. So, you know, I read a lot of great career books, but many of them are very inspirational, but they don't really take it one step further. They'll say, you can be what you want to be or, or, you know, do X, Y, Z, but they don't necessarily tell you how, or here's what an email that you might write to a potential mentor looks like. Um, I find, and maybe this is my personality, but I used to be so frustrated when people would tell me, negotiate for yourself, um, you know, write a thank you note. But I really like to know, well, what might that look What's like? What's the script? How? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so we wanted the book to be incredibly tactical. It's full of worksheets. It's full of email templates, both real life examples, um, emails people have sent us. Uh, where we hired them afterwards, LinkedIn messages, cover letters, but also um, just very kind of detailed step-by-step guides so you can recreate the same thing, but in your own voice and for your own personality. Um, Obviously, we wanted it to be inspirational, but, you know, to really let people go beyond that. And then secondly, I felt like, um, you know, the muse is steeped in the modern workplace where, you know, you're just as likely to do a Google Hangout as a telephone call, as an in-person meeting. And so we wanted to make sure that we really went through the rules of work, the, the how-tos from A to Z, but updated it for today. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's certainly topics that you're going to find covered in other books, but I, I'd like to think we've done it in a pretty fresh, uh, a pretty fresh way. You said earlier that you loved getting the feedback, the good and the, and the bad. What's been some of the criticism or what some of the, um, you know, reviews that weren't so glowing? Yeah, I, I think it's really a matter of what you're looking for from the book and the, the place that someone's in when they read it. Generally, what we found is that people that are either earlier stage in their career, um, contemplating a career change, have tended to respond incredibly positively. Um, we've also had you know, one of our earliest Amazon reviews was from someone who essentially wrote, <coughs> sorry, it was from someone who essentially wrote, I've been in the workplace for 25 years and there's nothing new here. And I wanted to say, like, firstly, I, I, I'd like to think there's some, you know, there's quite a bit that's new, but at the second time, um, you know, if you've been in the workplace for 25 years, you may have learned a lot of these lessons and you may have learned them in a different context. And that's fine. And I, I, you know, that may not be the ideal audience for this book. I think um, I've been surprised by the, sort of diversity in, in, in ages, in types of people in backgrounds who have loved the book. But um, when we have gotten those critical reviews, it tends to be, you know, I already knew this stuff, to which I generally say, great, <laughs> you've got it under control. Um, but, you know, on themuse.com, we are able to cover a pretty wide range of experience levels. We have content for executives and leaders and, and managers. With the book, we really had to narrow it. And so we chose people that were either early in their career and needed the, the basics and the, you know, again, the A to Z, the groundwork, or people that were making a major career change. And so they may need to hear things for the first time 
from a perspective of, of outside of the industry that they've been in for the last how many ever years. Tell us how you got to create the muse and what was the inspiration? And, and let's say if you had to write a book about your career, your personal journey, what would the title be? Yeah, I mean, I gave a, a talk once that I titled uh, One Million Mistakes and a Few Things Right. And that's the words that come to, that came to mind when you asked what the title of my book would be. I, I mean, I hope that I would come up with a better title than that. But I think that, um, you know, I love experimenting and trying new things. And they don't always have to work. And when I look at my own career, uh, I mean, mistakes isn't quite fair, but I've definitely had a winding path. So I'll give you the sort of abbreviated version, which is that I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. Um, I was convinced I wanted to be a ambassador, a foreign uh, service officer, a secret agent, you know, something that related to international relations, international development, political science, etc. And um, after years and years of studying, I speak French fluently, I studied Turkish language for a while and loved it, traveled all over, I finally had the chance to work at a U.S. embassy in Nicosia, Cyprus, in the Mediterranean. Um, and I was in the regional security office and it was this, you know, it was this incredible experience, but I realized pretty quickly the idea I had of this career path is nothing like the reality. And oh my goodness, <laughs> this is probably not the right, you know, 20 year career path for me. And, um, that set me into this, this really tough place, which I think a lot of people go through, which is, oh my gosh, if what I'm doing now isn't that, that dream career, isn't that right next step, then what is? And I went online, I scoured job boards. Um, during this time, I ended up taking a job at McKinsey and Company in New York, moving to the city and, um, and becoming a management consultant. That was clearly not the long-term plan either, but I did learn a lot. And as I was, as I was looking for my next thing and you know, going on all the job boards that are, that are very familiar to everyone listening to this, I kept thinking like, this is all there is. This experience is the best that the internet has to offer. And I mean, at one point, I was literally searching for business strategy director roles on a major uh, platform. I won't name right now, but I typed that in. I hit enter, and there were five thousand seven hundred and twenty-four results. And the top one was assistant store manager, Seven Eleven, Secaucus, New Jersey. <laughs> and I was like, right, okay, mm -hmm. thank you. You know me. Um, you know, it just felt like this massive missed opportunity. And so without going into, you know, all the nitty gritty details, unless you, <laughs> unless you want to go there, um, I was sitting with my, with my co-founder Alex and we were in a living room, um, in Brooklyn and we started saying, well, what would it look like if you built a career platform that was personalized and that put the human at the center of the process and said, what do you care about? What do you want to know? And let them get advice and resources and speak to a career coach, learn a skill. And when they were ready to research jobs and apply to companies, um, you know, whether that was now or in two years down the road or, or five, shouldn't you be able to see inside those companies before you apply? And so when we first rolled out jobs on the news, we had the photo and video office tours. You could hear from employees. Um, there's a lot more to go, but that early idea uh, has been fairly consistent since the beginning. So tell us how you and Alex in your Brooklyn apartment got the confidence, the financial confidence to launch such a big idea. Yeah. So I've always thought of money as, uh, as, as freedom, if you're careful with it, meaning that I never wanted to be locked into a specific job or a lifestyle or anything because of money. And so when I got the offer at McKinsey, uh, which was about three years before I started the Muse, it was a lot more money than I expected to be making at that point in time. Um, it was $65,000 a year, 
which you know felt um, because I was I was not married, I didn't have any dependents. That felt like a lot. Even living in New York City, which is very expensive, and so what I decided to do was to save every penny that I didn't need to spend. Um, so by the time that I left, um, about two years later, I had about twenty five thousand dollars in a savings account, and I was still early enough in my career that I said, you know what, I want to spend this money on myself, and not not on myself, but on the ability to explore. And so I I took a job in. Rwanda that did cover my expenses, but didn't really pay anything on top of that. And I felt comfortable doing it because I had the savings account. And when I, then when I came back to New York, I started exploring the ideas that would eventually become the muse, uh, but they weren't the muse yet. My, my um, first venture was a really small media project almost. I mean, it eventually became a startup, but honestly, it was really a project at the beginning. And um, when I decided to uh, you know, go in full time on that, I just thought to myself, I, I can you know, keep my living expenses in New York City, well, in Brooklyn, uh, to under $2,000 a month total. And so you know, that gives me about a year. Um, and so what I'm going to do is, is throw myself into this for four to six months. And at the end of that period, I'm going to look up and say, is this a viable career decision? Is this a viable lifestyle? But I'm not going to beat myself up on that every day until at least four to six months have gone by. And I felt like I had the freedom to do that because it would still have left me enough, enough time to find that, that next job or that next thing. Um, and, and I was lucky in that, you know, that the worst, um, the worst thing that could have happened is I, I would have had to move home and, and move back on a couch. And I recognize not everyone has that, that opportunity and that privilege. So anyway, all that is to say um, that when Alex and I started talking about starting the Muse, we, we were willing to take some calculated financial risks. Um, and it was terrifying. I'm not going to minimize that, um, especially when there was a woman, Adrian. Uh, she's still with us at the Muse, but she had been kind of volunteering, freelancing, working um, on our first project together. And when Alex and I were starting the Muse, Adrian said, look, I want to come on full time. And we had to make the decision, can we afford this? And where is it going to come from? And, and the answer was honestly Alex and I's bank accounts because there wasn't revenue for the company yet. There wasn't um, a pathway to raising capital from investors yet. We did eventually get there, but I was very transparent with her. And I said, look, this is how much money we have. This is how much time that gives us. If you want to join, you know, given these parameters, we would love to have you. But I, you know, I, I, I believe that it will work out. I can't promise that it will, but I will always be honest with you. And I'm so grateful she took the leap and joined as our first employee. And uh, we were turned down by about 148 investors, but we did eventually raise capital uh, maybe four months later um, and were able to eventually, after we covered our core business expenses and gave Adrienne a very nice raise, uh, eventually we were able to pay small salaries for Alex and myself. 148 rejections. That's a, that's a lot of no's. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really not fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. And um, how soon after those rejections did an acceptance happen or were you just ready to throw in the towel after that? You know, they, so it's funny. I kept a spreadsheet at the time of all the investors I was speaking to. And one of the things that helped a bit was that I didn't fully recognize all of the no's as no's right away. Um, so, so probably 70 of them were flat out no's, but you know, another, call it 60 to 70 were much more of like, well, 
why don't you check in in three to four months? You know, keep us posted. And effectively, in investing, that's a no. They, they may still come back and say yes later. We did eventually have people who did that. But for the purposes of I need to raise capital to survive in the immediate term, you know, that that's a no. That's a near-term no. And so I think the first yes that we got came actually around, um, I think it was around 60 to 65 no's. And um, Thomas Lehrman, who I, I remember he was, a, he was a judge on a panel. Um, I presented the idea for the muse to the panel. He said, come see me in my office tomorrow. And I came by and he was like, I like this and I believe in the idea and I think it needs to exist. We talked a little bit. He asked me some questions. And at the end, he offered to make an investment. But he said, you know, you, you've got to find some other investors, too. So once you get around together, count me in for this amount of money. And I, I mean... It was, it was one of the best days of the year. It was a really incredible feeling. But of course, you're not off the hook. Um, it's, it's hope. It's a step in the right direction. You've got to go out and find those other people. And so um, we got another yes, probably 30 no's later. And uh, then a big yes, which made a, a world of difference, was getting into Y Combinator. And that was after the full... Um, the full 148. And that, that sort of changed our situation a bit because once they said yes, other people started to pay attention to that and come around. Was it that your pitch wasn't getting through or that you weren't talking to the right people? I think it was the former. And I've thought a lot looking back about why we had so much trouble. Um, 148 is unusual. A lot of people get 30 no's, 50 no's. Um, I think the level of rejection that we dealt with was uh, was was a bit unusual. I think there were a few reasons. One is that the people we were pitching didn't personally experience the pain that we solve. When you think about the classic investor, right. most of them, and, I, and I'm going to you know broadly generalize, but most of them are older men. A lot of them have lived very um, networked, connected, often very privileged lives, and they may not have looked for a job online, and they definitely haven't done it in the last <laughs> decade. You know, and so Peter Thiel had, is not looking for jobs online. Exactly. And, you know, it's funny, there were a lot of startups that got funded in our space while we were pitching that seemed really sexy. One of them charged job seekers and, you know, investors were like, "Ooh, I love it. It turns the model on its head. And I'm like, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> you know, and, and those companies, um, a lot of them, um, I think that that were designed to appeal to what perhaps Silicon Valley felt might be the best solution to this problem. Um, they weren't necessarily in tune with what, you know, people, real humans across the country needed. And I think we were very lucky in that we tapped into a trend and a feeling um, that didn't have a voice. But, you know, I had a lot of investors pull up uh, monster.com and say, what's wrong with this? It looks good to me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, we definitely also, um, we also ran into some uh, situations that were also related to gender, you know, so we, we did get a lot of like, you seem so nice, you know, being a CEO is hard. Why don't oh you just go goodness. get a job? And yeah, I mean, it, you know, if anything, that stuff just motivates you to right. prove people wrong. Um, but I would say, you know, maybe it was 10 to 15% explicitly were, were people who said things like just, you know, things that you really shouldn't say out loud in 2011, 2017, whatever year. 21st you know. century. How about yes, that? Yes, exactly. Ever. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, and then some, some other percentage, I think people just, you know, we didn't look like your classic successful founder. And especially for people that were used to dealing with a certain archetype, um, I think we seemed unusual and we really had to prove ourselves 
a lot before people were willing to jump in and give us a chance. I read that one of your bits of advice for the modern employee out there or someone who's looking to negotiate, maybe even entrepreneurs, is to sometimes act dumb, play dumb. What did you mean by that? And I think it was in the context even of sometimes it helps women to act not to not reveal their intelligence so much right away. So explain that for us, because I think it can be a little controversial to say something like that. Yeah. And um, if I'm remembering what I I think it is that you're quoting, I feel like I was like half of my quote was given and the other half wasn't. Um, So I actually, I never believe in, in playing dumb. Um, I would love for the world to be the way that when I walk into a room, people automatically assume that I'm at least reasonably likely to be a competent, intelligent, normal human being. Um, And it often infuriates me that uh, because of my age, because of the way I look, um, people spend a lot of time underestimating me and writing me off. And, you know, at the same time, um, when that happens, I think what 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 I believe is that um, while I don't think it's a good thing in the world, there are also times when because someone underestimates you, you're able to learn something about them that they wouldn't share if they thought you were uh, a competent opponent or a potential business partner. You can see how they treat people in situations in which they think they have all the power, and I would you know I wouldn't trade those insights for just, I mean, rather, I would love for people to just um, judge others based on their accomplishments and not based on their gender, their age, their race, all of these other factors. But um, I've certainly had experiences in which an investor or a partner has underestimated me. And I've been able to use that to either decide this is actually not a deal or a relationship that I want to enter into. I think that can be very useful knowledge or to make sure that we um, that we close the deal to our advantage. Well, I have heard that being underestimated can be a great advantage in business, right? Because it's like no one sees you coming. And being underestimated maybe means there's less focus on you, which allows you to then kind of sneak up and <laughs> surprise everybody with your success. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the context, but I just remember one of the first... Uh, early investors who believed in us, um, you know, he said something like, you guys can get really big and no one will take you that seriously because at the time we were targeting uh, women, female consumers. And he's like, and people won't even take it that seriously. And then you can grow and grow and eat LinkedIn for lunch. And I was like, <laughs> All right, thanks. You know, I mean, I, you know, I think um, I'm a big believer in doing your best to change the way things are. Uh, but sometimes you also play the hand that you're dealt and, and do the best with, you know, the best with what you have. Well, speaking of LinkedIn, and I know you have a lot of more interviews to attend, so we'll make this the last question, but what is the hope for the muse as far as exit strategy or just, you know, when you think about the ultimate point of achievement for the, the business, what, what do you envision? Yeah, I mean, separate from the financial exit strategy, my goal is for every single person who needs what we're offering, who is thinking about making a major career change, getting started in their career, looking for a job, to know what the muse is, and ideally to use us to help. So my goal, and we talk about this a lot inside the business, 
is how do we build a nationally and then eventually an internationally known and loved brand? Because you don't love a lot of the existing players. They don't inspire emotion in most people. Um, they're very transactional. They do a job. They give you a list of results or help you connect. And, and that, I mean, I use many of those products as well. I think there's a place for them, but um, your career is really personal. And I want to build a brand and a product that people love. Um, how that looks from an exit strategy there's, I mean, it's very hard to predict at this point. Um, we are lucky in that we are in a space in which companies are very willing to pay substantial amounts um, of money if we can help them hire and help them retain great people. And so I think we have a business that could go public someday. Uh, we also could end up joining forces. I, I would much prefer the former um, because I am a big believer in, in independence. But, you know, it's um, I think internally, you've got to stay focused on the next year, the next three years and your strategy for being the best. And so we don't spend a lot of time, um, you know, other than occasionally answering questions from from people that are interviewing at the company or, or people externally. Um, we try not to let that be a distraction. Well, I hope everybody picks up your new book that you co-wrote with Alexandra Kavalakis, your co-CEO at The Muse. The book is called The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's been so fun to do this. So thanks for having me on. Thanks so much to Catherine for stopping by. Her book again is called The New Rules of Work. The website is themuse.com and Catherine is on Twitter at K-M-I-N. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com where you can download the transcript. Also listen to the audio again and again and again. Put it on your website, forward it to your friends. If you'd like to send me a question for the Friday episodes, you can also do that at somoneypodcast.com. Just click on Ask Farnoosh and please send me your question, whether it's about money, career, life, babies. I like to hear it all and hopefully offer some help. Thanks for tuning in and I hope your day is so money.